I want to dive right back into our sermon series because we've been working through this series talking about how we are better together. And specifically today, I want to talk about a topic that may be hard for some of us to, to openly and honestly talk about, but I think it's absolutely essential that we as a church are leading this conversation in our society when it comes to mental health. Okay, so before I set that up, I want to go back for a minute and actually set the stage for this. So if you'll remember, a few weeks ago when I was talking, I read to you Genesis 2.18, and it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, I mentioned to you at the time that I found this incredibly remarkable. It like jumped off the page to me because up until this point, God had created all of this wonderful creation. And at the end of every day, what did he say? It is good. Oh man, that's good. This is good. This is good. And then the first time we see this line used in the Bible, it is not good is in reference to mankind being alone. Now, remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin entered the earth. And God is saying it's not good for man to be alone. You see, we, mankind, were created in the image of God. We were created in the likeness of God. And here's one of the things we know for certain about our God. He is a relational God. He has existed for all eternity past in perfect relationship in the Trinity. Now, Trinity is a big topic, right? And it blows our minds. It, it makes us go, what? As we talk about the idea of Trinity. But I just love this quote from one of my favorite authors named Jared Wilson. He wrote a book called Unparalleled, How Christianity's Uniqueness Makes It Compelling. And there's a lot to unpack here, but I just want you to hear what he had to say about our relational God in regards to Trinity. He said this, Love is not God, but God is love. So what does it mean for God to be love? It does not necessarily mean that God is simply loving. Judaism, Islam, Mormonism teach a God who loves. But when a Christian teaches that God is himself love, they are saying that real love itself has its origin and its essence in God. And this cannot be true unless God is a trinity. Think about it. A solitary God cannot be love. He may learn to love. He may yearn for love, but he cannot in himself be love because love requires an object. Real love requires relationship. In the doctrine of the Trinity, we finally see how love is part of the fabric of creation. It is essential to the eternal need-nothing creator. From eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been in community in relationship. They have loved each other. That, relation, that loving relationship is bound up in the very nature of God himself. If God were not a trinity, but merely a solitary divinity, he could neither be love nor be God. 
So the idea here, friends, is from eternity past, God has existed in perfect, loving community, in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when God looked at mankind, or just at that point, man in the garden, and saw that Adam didn't have an equal, Adam did not have someone that he could share that kind of loving relationship in partnership with, God looked at that and said, this is not good. So God's solution was to create the ideal partner for man. That's Eve. Adam and Eve become the ideal partnership. And now, just so you know, this was always God's plan. God didn't look down and go, oops, I made a mistake. I messed up. I should have done. No, God knew from the very beginning that he was going to create Eve, but I believe that he did it this way because he wanted us to know for all time that it's not good for man to be alone, that we were made for each other as partners together, that we need other people, that we truly are better together. This is God's design for our life. We were made for relationships. Now, unfortunately for mankind, our perfect relationship with each other didn't last very long. Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden messed up God's perfect design for our relationships, and they were forever damaged. In one instant, fear, shame, deception, pride, envy, jealousy, lust, anger, confusion, anxiety, and a whole bunch of other stuff came pouring into our world pouring into our lives, pouring into our minds, pouring into our bodies, pouring into our heart. In fact, pouring into our very nature that was changed. To say our relationships were changed in that moment is a massive understatement. The next thing we know, brothers are literally killing each other. Families are being torn apart. Relationships that once experienced perfect intimacy are now filled with shame and distrust. From that moment on, from the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3, all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, is God telling us one great big narrative story of his plan to restore and reconcile mankind's relationship to himself and to each other. That's what the rest of the story is about. God's big rescue plan to reconcile relationships between him and mankind and each other. And we all know how the story ends, right? We know how the story ends. In the end, Those who are in Christ Jesus and who have declared him as their Lord and Savior and confessed their sins to God are restored to the fullness and perfect relationship, the dream that God had for our lives. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more shame, no more envy, no more lust, no more anxiety. Perfect relationships between God and man and each other. Yahoo, right? Amen? You with me, right? Okay. So we know how the story ends, but what about in the meantime? You see, we live in this tension as Christians. We're living in what the Bible calls the final days. The final days is the period of time after Jesus' death and resurrection and before his second coming. Okay, So we live in this period of time called the final uh, time, in the end times. 
And as part of these final end times, we have these two alternate realities happening in real time around us in our lives all the time. I'll, I'll explain this. In one, we still live in a broken world where sin and the effect of sin is ravishing people's lives all around us. In fact, I, I thought about this this morning. When I got up this morning, I swung my feet over and put my feet down on the floor, and suddenly I realized the effects of sin on this world are very present in my feet right now. After the fundraiser yesterday, I put my feet down on the floor, and boy, did they hurt. And I thought, wow, my feet are killing me. Well, why are my feet killing me? Well, because we live in a broken world. Our bodies don't work like God designed them to work. Pain, sickness, cancer, war, jealousy, greed, suffering is part of the human existence. It's part of what we experience here on this earth. But at the same time that that is true, we also have this truth, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection and triumph over sin and death, the Holy Spirit has now been released and God himself dwells in us, that the kingdom of God and the will of God can be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we live in a tension, don't we? where we have the effects of sin and death in our relationships and in our body, but we also have the effects of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection in our life and in our relationship and in our body. Christians deal with this tension every day. When we stand at the graveside of a loved one who's passed away, we're there in faith, believing and knowing that they're with the Lord, but also grieving in real time. There will be a day where that's totally finished and done. But in the meantime, there is a tension. And we see that tension so clearly in our relationships. And this shouldn't surprise us at all, friends. It should not surprise us because relationships and healthy relationships are right at the core, at the center of God's dream for our lives. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. You can just see how central relationships are to God. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is saying it's all about what? Relationship. Relationship between us and God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and us and other people. It's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So, should we be surprised, friends, that relationship is the thing that our enemy, the devil, attacks with such ferocity? He hates relationships. Look, going back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was his goal in the garden to divide mankind's relationship away from God, to put a wedge between man and God and a wedge between man and woman, to put wedges and to break apart and divide us. Why does he want to divide us? So he can conquer. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says it like this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. See, our enemy wants to separate you and I away from the pack, away from the herd. He wants to isolate you. Why? Because alone we are vulnerable. We were not created to be and live our lives in isolation. Remember, it's not good for man to be alone. That's what God said in the garden. And yet, The very thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to push you away from your relationships with other people. See, the devil knows Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 is true. This is what Solomon said. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What is Solomon saying here? We're better together. We need each other. We need relationships. We need to stand together. And the enemy knows this truth. And the whole arc of Scripture confirms this truth, friends. So, As I said, I want to talk about mental health today, so let me get specifically to the point. All around us right here this morning, including in this room right now, there is a mental health crisis happening in our midst. Most people don't talk about mental health very often, and because of the silence, there's this misconception that mental health is something that people rarely struggle with, especially in the Christian church. And you could not be more wrong. You see, every year in the United States, more than 25% of adults suffer from a diagnosable mental illness. These afflictions incur serious uh, and, and involve things like schizophrenia and bipolar, as well as more common things like depression and anxiety and everything else in between. And what happened during the pandemic is that the isolation that the pandemic created absolutely sped up. I don't want to say that it created this problem because we saw it before the pandemic, but it certainly uh, exponentially increased this problem that we're seeing. In the state of Oregon, the place where we call home, we are at the epicenter of this problem. We rank 50th out of all 50 states at having the highest rate of depression, anxiety, and mental illness in the trifecta in adults, adolescents, and children. In all three categories, we as a state lead the way. And if you look at the statistics for depression, you'll find that they are incredibly alarming because these statistics are based solely on self-reporting. You understand, these are just people who went to a provider and told them about their struggle, who told them that they were hurting. How many more people are struggling in silence because of the stigma that comes along with seeking help? Our state, you might be not surprised at all to know this, not only are we number one in the problem, we're also last out of all 50 states in the solution. We're number 50 out of 50 in access to mental health treatment and professionals. The Kaiser Family Foundation says in Oregon, 34.6% of adults in Oregon report symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder. You need to, that's more than three 
out of every 10 Oregonians who struggle with this problem. It is the elephant in the room that we are not talking about nearly enough. And you need to hear this, so listen close, because this statistic blows my mind. This is a national statistic from the NIH, the National Institute of Health. They say when people do seek help for mental health, 25% of them go first to the church. You might not have heard that. 25% of people, that's higher than the percentage of people who go to a psychiatrist or their general doctor for help first go to the church for help with their mental health. So people have come here today because you have a crisis. One of the biggest reasons that people visit church is because something is happening in their life and they've decided they can't just keep going the way things are going. And all around us this morning, friends, people are hurting. The enemy is prowling around. And you know what the enemy looks for? I'm convinced of this. As somebody who's struggled with chronic pain myself since 2009, I'm convinced that the enemy goes looking for people in pain. And when he finds people in pain, he will try to exploit their vulnerability and hurt in order to isolate them away from the herd. So the thing that I hear more often than any other description when people talk to me about their struggle with mental health is one of the first things that begins to happen is they begin to separate or isolate themselves away from their relationships. And friends, I can just tell you this should be like that, that warning light on the dashboard of your life. That when you see it flashing at you, check engine, right? When you see that thing come on, that you begin isolating yourself away from other people. You begin feeling like you don't have the energy to go out or to be with that person. Or you start making excuses on why you can't be together. That should be like a glaring warning light. That you are setting yourself up for a massive failure. Because isolated, we are vulnerable, friends. Now, before I go any further and talk about mental health, I just want to tell you, friends, that I know that when we talk about mental health, we are talking about a huge spectrum of different kinds of stuff. From people who occasionally feel overwhelmed and anxious to people who are literally almost paralyzed by their anxiety. From people on one end that have had a few days of depression to people who have had lifelong seasons or long dark seasons of depression. We're talking about a large range here. And I do not believe that every single case of anxiety or depression is only spiritual in its root. There are physical realities. There are mental and emotional realities. And we at this church believe strongly in programs like Celebrate Recovery, where we can work together in a group through our hurts, through our depression, through our anxiety. We believe in pastoral counseling. We believe in professional Christian counseling. And we believe in medication and treatment in the right cases. Friends, we believe that God uses lots of different ways to help us heal. And we have to step out and stop this stigma where we are unwilling to reach out for help when we need it. Now, you have to remember, I believe, and I'm going to speak to you today about the spiritual things, because I'm a pastor, 
Um, this is a church, and we want to talk to you about the spiritual things because I believe there's not a single case when it comes to your mental health that the spiritual doesn't have an impact on. I didn't say that it's the only impact, but it doesn't have an impact. And one of the things we just need to be aware is our physical and our spiritual are a lot more connected than we often give uh, the than we often think about. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you have found yourself getting incredibly unspiritual and incredibly irritated when you're tired or when you're hungry? Anyone? Yep, anyone? So we even have a term for this now in our culture. We call it hangry, right? You see the Snickers commercial where the person's super grumpy and they just need to eat a Snickers bar? You know, my dad has said repeatedly, one of the most spiritual things that you can do is get a better night's sleep is to take a nap when your body tells you you need it. Because oftentimes, even though being angry with someone and short with someone is a spiritual problem, and you should address it, you should pray about it, you should ask God for patience, it may just be that that spiritual problem has a physical connection, like you need to sleep more or you need to have a snack. Okay, And so our physical and our spiritual bodies really are integrated and connected with each other. That's why I believe that as we focus on these spiritual truths, they'll help you in your uh, pursuit of mental health. Again, we have programs to help you. Don't suffer in silence. Don't let the enemy isolate you away from the herd. We need each other. Okay, so here's just a few points. These will go quick. Most of my sermon today was the setup to the points, but I want to look at how we are better together in relationship to our mental health, how we help each other through this journey of mental health together. And here's the first one. Christian community is a source of comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3-4 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, I don't know anything more comforting than to have somebody who has walked through the experience that I'm experiencing. Let's say somebody that's walked through or is walking through depression or anxiety, a brother or sister in Christ who comes alongside of you in your moment of weakness, in your moment of hurt, in that moment where you can't see the forest through the trees or something like that is the saying where you're stuck, where you can't see the way forward, and a brother or sister in Christ who's walked down this road before comes alongside of you and wraps their arms around you. You see, in order for this to be true, i got to tell you something real quick, church. If you're going to comfort others with the same comfort you've received, guess what that means? It means we have to be honest about our own or our past struggles. If we're going to give somebody the comfort we ourselves have received, then the other person has to know about it. Does that make sense? It has to be seen. It has to be visible. We can't hide away from these things. We need to be open. We need to be honest with each other. Look at what Paul says just after this, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. 
We despaired of life itself. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Do you see why Paul's comfort to the church was so comforting? Paul was not speaking from the outside looking in. Paul himself was someone who had struggled. Paul had hurt. Paul had experienced grief and loss and suffering. And so when Paul offered a word of encouragement, when someone like Paul says, you can do it, keep going, persevere, run the race, God will be with you, that means something, doesn't it? Because you know what Paul's been through. Why did they know what Paul's been through? Because he told them. He was open and honest about his own life. Paul is the one who wrote the line that we despaired to life itself. What's another way of saying that? We wish we would die. This is a strong statement, friends, and Paul was open and honest with the people around him. If we are going to be a people who give comfort to others who need comfort, then we are going to have to be open and honest in dealing with the fact of what God has helped us walk through so that we can help others walk through it as well. Number two, Christian community is a place for healing. Christian community is a place for healing. Every single study you look at, you will see that people heal and recover better in community than they do in isolation. The, the medical world knows this, right? This is not just true, the understood truth inside the church. It's true everywhere. People do, don't do well in isolation. In fact, they're more prone to all kinds of issues when they become isolated and institutionalized. We need to be surrounded by other people, and we heal through family, through community, is the way God designed us to work. James 5.16. Listen to this. It's crystal clear. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James tells us healing happens with each other. Healing happens in community. As we confess and as we pray together with each other. Do you believe that? That wasn't hypothetical. Do you believe that? See, you got to remember... God gave the gifts of the Spirit to the church so that the body of Christ would be built up, becoming strong and mature. God's desire, read through the Bible. How many times do you see Jesus going into crowds or into towns or into communities being moved with compassion and healing the sick. How many times then in the book of Acts do you see the early church following in the footsteps of Jesus being moved with compassion and praying for and seeing the sick healed? God's plan has always been that his community, his family, his people would be a place of healing. And we remind ourselves friends of this at celebrate recovery all the time this is a verse we read regularly jeremiah six fourteen out of the living bible says this you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there jesus repeatedly asked people crazy questions think of blind bartimaeus think of the blind man that jesus comes and says what do you want me to do for you well wasn't it obvious he's blind 
Of course he wants to see. So why would Jesus ask him? Why would he go through this process? Mark 10, 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. See, Jesus wanted the rabbi to be honest about his need for healing because our honesty is an essential part of this process. And I know it's scary, friends. I know the stigma that surrounds our mental health. And I know the walls of protection that we put up to protect ourselves. But the truth is those walls just make you stuck in a prison and they isolate you away from other people. The enemy wants you to believe that if you told other people about your struggle, that you would be ostracized, that you would be put out, that people would look at you different, that they would look down on you. And I'm telling you, friends, that is absolutely should not be true. And I'm so sorry to you if that's been your experience. But we here together are a community of grace, a community that knows that God saved a wretch like me I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see that I am in need of the grace of God. And so why would I be surprised when anyone else is also in need of it? Why would I be shocked that people are hurting and struggling in their relationships? Why would I be surprised? Can you imagine if we treated people with diabetes the same way we treated people with mental health issues? Where we shamed them and put stigma on their life because of their struggle. But that's exactly what's happened to us in our culture and why so many people struggle in silence and keep it to themselves. Ephesians 4.25, this is is instruction to a local church. Paul says, you've got to stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. See, what happens to one? What did Paul say when happens to one member of the body? affects all the body. If there's one member struggling, then all the members struggle. So Paul says we got to stop lying to each other. We're all members of the body, so we need to tell each other the truth. If we are to belong together, if we are truly members together, then we need each other. This is why you must be part of a small group. Amen you got to be part of a small group. Why? It's awful hard to confess these things and deal with these things in a large group meeting, right? It's awful hard for people to know you and your struggle, for people to know what you're struggling with anxiety, for people to know where your hurt are if you don't have relationship. In small group, you have a group of 10 or 12 people that you are sharing your life with, that are praying for you, that are keeping tabs on you, that you're, you're sending both ways, relationships, together so you can know each other and be honest with each other. Friends, this is essential. Galatians 6.2 says we are to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. If I'm going to help carry your burden, guess what? I got to know about it. It's intimate, isn't it? got to share your burden for somebody to carry it. And then the person that you share it with has got to be willing to come alongside 
and carry that. I just love in a community like ours that at any given time, there are people at every different level of experience in their Christian walk. Some are thriving today spiritually, while others are really in dark times in their life. That's why we need each other. We stand together. We carry each other's burdens. We help each other. Where one is strong at the moment, he helps pick up the slack for someone who's struggling. And then as that person gains strength, they bring somebody else along. Whatever comfort you've received, comfort someone else so that they can receive the comfort of God. Here's number three. Christian community helps us see clearly. Whoop, that's neat. Ashley will work on that. So it helps us see clearly. So that's your fill-in, see clearly. Now, let me just tell you, sometimes when we are struggling, it can be easy for you and I to get lost in our pain. It can be easy for you and I to lose sight. Don't worry, it's just a computer restarting. It'll go blue, it'll go black, it'll go blue. You've seen this before, it'll be okay. It can be easy for us. How I've heard described more times that being and struggling with depression or anxiety is like being in a fog. You ever heard that before? It's like being in a fog. Why? When you're in a fog, you can't see clearly. When you're in a fog, you can't see around you. You can't tell what's going on, right? It can feel like you're stuck. It can feel like you're lost. It can feel like you can't see the way forward. Okay, that is the description that so many people describe when it comes to depression. And here's what the Christian community can do with you and for you. You can stand alongside each other and lend your vision and lend your eyesight to someone else in the midst of their struggle. Do you understand that? So what that means is that maybe today they're lacking in faith, but you can lend your faith and your sight to them. Maybe today you can share the promises of God to someone who can't see it for themselves. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to life, of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You see, friends, what this text tells us is that each and every one of us has a race that God has set before us, that your race is different from my race. And each one of our races, each one of our tracks that we're running on is different. But here's the thing, you're not running alone. You're running with a whole crowd of witnesses running together their own race, but running it side by side, hand by hand. Have you ever been to something like a cross-country meet or a marathon? The people line the streets. Why? Because you need encouragement along the path. You're cheering for each other. You're lending your support. Maybe you are not the one that's out on the track at that given moment, but your role is incredibly important in cheerleading, in standing alongside of, in rooting for your fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We all have a race that we are running, and you are surrounded by people here today who have an enormous experience of life. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have been through divorce. 
Some of you have experienced physical pain. Some of you have experienced emotional and mental pain. If you would allow God to use that hurt to help benefit others, friends, I believe that God would really, we would see in this place an amazing thing begin to happen. Now it looks like it's restarting again. So here's what I'm going to do. Because obviously, our current plans are not going to work quite as well. So what I'd like to ask is if the band will come. And what I'd like to do with us here this morning, as we finish out and have we have our response time, is I would like us to really consider, are you here today and are you struggling? Are you struggling with your own mental health? Are you feeling anxious about the season of life that we're living in? Are you watching the events on the news and are you filled with anxiety and fear? Or maybe you're here today and you're struggling with depression. Maybe you just have a really hard time feeling or seeing any hope at all in this world. Maybe you're feeling lost. Maybe you're feeling just like empty. Just, just uh, like there's just no hope for tomorrow. My prayer with you today is that in this place today that there would just be a resurgence of hope coming. That there would be a move of God in this place and that he would begin working in us in our minds and in our lives. That he would begin helping us as we walk through this really difficult reality. Friends, if you're here and your relationships have been broken and you're feeling isolated and alone, then together as the community of God, I want us to be in this place together for you to see that you are not alone. That there is a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you right now who love you, who care about you, who are rooting for you, who have a desire to see you prosper, who have a desire to see you strengthen, who have a desire to see a move of God in your life. And maybe you're here today and you just need a healing touch from the Lord. We are a community of people who believe in and who have walked in and received the healing of God. So I just want to begin to pray with you right now where you're at. And I just want you, before we do this, I, I don't do this because I believe that we're trying to keep anything a secret. I do this because I want to help us right now to really go and to do some work here with the Lord. So I just want to encourage every eye in this place for a minute to close so that you don't see the blue screen flashing and you stop this crazy distraction, okay? So close your eyes. And right where you're at, if you are here today and you are struggling with anxiety, depression, hurt, pain, loss, mental health. I'd just like you real quick, you don't have to keep your hand up long. I'd just like you to raise your hand. You can put your hands back down. Now church, I just want to begin to pray together. If you're someone who didn't put your hand up, what I would ask you to right now is just as I begin to pray that you would just begin to pray along with me and agree with me in prayer. God, we're here today as your kids. And Lord, we need your help. 
So God, I'm asking you right now in Jesus' name to come by your Spirit and bring healing to our mind, healing to our body, healings to our soul. God, I pray against anxiety and depression. I pray against the effects, God, of mental illness and sickness. And I ask you, God, to come and bring your healing power. Come and move in us and in this place. Come, God, and let us see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we need today our daily bread. We need you, God, to come and renew our minds. We need you to come and help us, God, as we walk through this life, dealing with hurts, dealing with the past. God, help us, as Paul said, to be able to do this one thing, to forget what's behind God and to press forward in what you have for us next. Lord, I pray for our relationships. If they're broken, if we're living in isolation, I pray for your healing. I pray for your help. I pray, God, that as we begin to respond to you today, God, that you would do a mighty work in and amongst us in this place today. Lord, we need you for this. We just, we, we need you, God. We call out to you. We cry out to you. Come, Abba Father. Bring your healing power to our minds. Bring your healing power to our lives. Come and stir us up, God. Help us, Lord. We trust you and we believe these things in Jesus' name. Amen.